Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hello, leaders. Welcome back. This is Ledge. I am excited to host Stephen King today, the CPA variety, not the author variety. I suspect that you've heard that quip before. Stephen, please introduce yourself to our fine audience. First time today I've heard that quip. So, <laughs> right. Uh, my answer is always, yeah, I am Stephen King. I deal with horror QuickBooks, though, not just horror. I, I was going to say you you needed some kind of <laughs> shtick about like cash flow horror stories because there's yeah. got to be like. Yeah, exactly. I, I I feel lucky though to you know, a lot of other names you could have had. I could be Jeffrey Epstein right now, right? That would be really. You know. So um. So who am I? I, uh, I am the CEO and founder of GrowthForce. We are an outsourced cloud accounting department for service businesses and nonprofits for about a million to 20 million in revenue. And uh, we focus on helping them uh, run better, get, get stronger, and for-profits make more money and nonprofits raise more money because I have a unique nonprofit to, to, uh, crossover in my career. So uh, it's fun to bring something different from anybody else. Yeah, that is cool. I saw that. I'd love to you know, hear that story when we get into it. Tell me about just like, why does a business think about accounting, outsource a department, insource a department, like who leads it? What is like, I think the finance function is one of those things that kind of throws a founder off at times. Like, I don't know when I need it and I don't even know what it does, but I don't know. I'm glad when good numbers fall out the bottom, you know, and I'm being a little flip, but I'm actually an accounting guy yeah. too. But, uh, <laughs> you know, talk about, talk about that. Like, cause I think that it's the hard thing to buy at the right time. And it's easy to realize that you did it wrong when it's too late. Yeah. When it's broken. Right. Yeah. And it costs you a lot of money. You know, I can tell a story of uh, one of our clients, Brian, uh, who's the partner and COO of Novasis, an energy, uh, sorry, a, a government contractor and consultant in originally out of New Orleans. I asked him that question yesterday. I said, you know, what, why did you hire us nine years ago? And now, you know, we're 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 integrated fully into his whole operations. And and uh, he said, you know, when you understand someone's fears, you understand their motivation, right? His fear was, this is a position that in our company and a lot of small businesses is likely to have some turnover because there's no growth opportunity for a controller. There's no other professionals around them to learn from. The bookkeeper is not going to get promoted to be controller until that controller quits or dies, right? So... In the back office, that's typically not a core competency, right? Our, our clients are frustrated because they're, they're working really hard, but they're not making enough money. Or on the nonprofit side, they're, they don't have enough funding to do all the missions work, the, the programs that they want. They're worried 
about the accuracy of the data that they're getting. So they're making decisions on information that's wrong. You know, I had a another client, uh, a company that moved giant buildings and things. You know, they moved the Challenger from Houston, Texas, where we are, out to the museum in California, and they didn't. Their bookkeeper didn't download their credit card transactions for six months. So they're looking at a at a location saying, hey, we're making some money here. And they just missed a whole stream of expenses. And so they worry that I don't have accurate, timely, actionable information at my fingertips. And, and you know, they've got anxieties with cash flow or if I have one person who's doing all the books and are they ripping me off? And typically, you get to about a million in revenue, which is why we start there. Two millions are, are you know, our ideal spot for for-profits. And that's the point where you need to grow the back office. You need more maturity on the financial intelligence. And you're not seeing every transaction as it goes through the bank account anymore. And so you got to have the systems and the controls and the people to get it there. Right, right. And I've had other guests in the, the space and talked about the way you might know as a as a business is really is sort of relative to maybe not how much money you make but the transaction volume seems to be a, a big variable does does that uh equate for, yeah for y'all? If, if, you, if you're gonna have to hire a second person right so you know you get your you're typically a startup you got one person who's the office manager who's the bookkeeper the controller the it person they probably do some HR and some I and and they're also maybe even the website developer, right? You know, course, yeah. and so and it's probably you, all you, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the second, you know, it's that trusted one person owns the, the is not is the is the support team, and then you outgrow that, and typically it's the finance part that causes you to need another person because okay, we have too much billing, we have too many deposits, we have too many bills to pay, too many people to pay on payroll. And then that's when you start to say, all right, how much is a controller? You know, if you're in the, on the coasts, it's a buck and a half. You know, if you're in the central plains here or the central, it's going to be 120 to 135. And you start thinking about, do I really need a full-time $10,000 a month person plus 25% health insurance and taxes and 401k and all that stuff? Or what we find you can save 30 to 40% by outsourcing the controller function to us and you get a team of bookkeeper, staff account and controller so that you have the right internal controls to separate the duties and make sure the numbers are right and reduce the risk of fraud. So that's, that's typically when we step in. Right, yeah. I, and you're making that compelling argument that all of us in some sort of outsourcing situation do. It's like, it's amazing now that as a business, you really only need to sort of do the thing you do and don't do the functional areas of your business at all because that's not your expertise. And there are those of us that, in fact, are experts in doing and masters of doing the thing that supports your business. And it's just it's a sea change now. I mean, yeah, outsourcing has been around for a while, but the acceleration, you know, COVID, et cetera, over the last year or so. It's just everybody going, wait a second, I'm paying people who are somewhere else anyway. Yeah. 
the manner right. in which I pay them and whether or not I name them my people or somebody else has now completely been obliterated because they don't live in the same little box that we all used to work in. Right. I mean, it, it's sort of just, it's almost like you need a totally different way of thinking about the world that you can outsource everything that isn't your core thing now. Yeah. The E-Myth, you know, said yeah. this really well 25 years ago, right? There's four legs to the stool. Is it what? Michael Gerber, is he the author of that? Um, Probably, I've read the book a hundred times and I still can't remember. But yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. And um, what he's basically said was there's, th there's four legs on a stool. There's, and most human beings are really good at two out of three. The entrepreneur has that extra DNA chip in their brain and they have some special uh, skill sets or lack of fear <laughs> and they have the ability to do three out of the four. But most of the time you're good at a product or a service, whatever it is that you, that you focus on. You're good at serving the client, right? You're good at helping them to uh, be happy and pay you again and again and again. You're good at selling that product and that service to that client, but it's really impossible to be good at all four. And the fourth is the back office. And you know what we like to say to people, you know, we want people who are real leaders in their front office space, in their product, in their sales, in their service. And let's make the back office a competitive weapon. You know, for me, I've been doing. I've been a CPA for 36 years. I've been doing outsourced accounting over the web since 1995. I started this industry when Netscape 1.0 came out. And we raised 43 million in venture capital funding and really kind of defined what it means to do outsourced accounting remotely over the web. And what I've learned over the years is when you, when you study why people fire their CPA, the number one reason is because the CPA didn't know my business. They didn't, they weren't a trusted advisor in the true sense of the word. They're not helping me increase profits. That's why you do accounting. Why do we create reports? So we can make decisions that are going to help make your world better, right? And so, and, the, and if you ask the CPAs, the studies from the AICPA are staggering. When you ask the CPA, why did you get fired? Their answer is the number one reason is my fees were too high. And the, the reality is if you're good, a client's happy to pay, but they're not willing to pay a lot of money for a tax return or an audit. That's just compliance. What they're looking for is reliance. So that to me is why you outsource is because you make it better. It's not just, you're not taking what you were doing and, and, and moving it to another organization. You better get a big ROI because like you said, Ledge, this is what we do for a living. And we, we've, we do this every single day of the year. We have 62 people doing the same thing. Right. Sure. Sure. And how do you think about the mix of, cause you've been on the sort of it's cloud enabled, you know, like you were doing cloud enabled, web enabled, you know, before people kind of thought about that. Um, we used to call those like, uh, ASPs, right. Application yeah. service provider, right. Like That's before, right. before SAS was a thing. Yeah. Um, so how do you think about the mix of technology and, and services? Because there are businesses that try to be pure play SAS which you then provide basically a service layer, you know, kind of 
on top of, I don't know if I'm on, you're probably facilitating a lot of work on somebody else's SaaS, which is like a zero or QuickBooks QuickBooks or whatever. Right. So how do you, do you think about yourself as a technology business or a a service business or like, we are, we are, we are a tech enabled service business. I'm very clear. We are, we are all about the service. You know, and I talked to Brian yesterday. It's just he's top of mind because he's the most recent client I talked to. But you know, and he and he, and he did a video testimony, so I have permission to share what he said. Um, he said, you know, I I went to you because I was worried about turnover, but I stayed with you as we grew. In fact, he added, you know, we took over expense management, then we took over billing, and we took over collections. You know, over ten years now, you start doing more. But what he said was, what the reason why you're, I stuck with you is because your services allowed me to focus on higher value things, how to le- talk to my clients, learn what their needs were, what their pain was, where are they going, talk to my staff, to build that camaraderie and that connections. And, you know, and that is way more valuable than focusing on billing and collections. And so for me, it, we're a service business. But... The only way you succeed in this rapidly changing world is if you're, uh, you have a smart back office. And we wrote an ebook called The Smart Back Office with QuickBooks as the ecosystem, not the general ledger, but as the ecosystem. And talk about what technology you use for bill pay. And we use bill.com. It's phenomenal. How do you automate time tracking? T-sheets. And how do you allocate the labor costs based on how people fill out the timesheet? Intuit Payroll or Insperity, have it fully automated. You do a step-by-step all the way around the eight different categories of what accountants will do. We've really spent a lot of years, decades even, focused on what's available to eliminate labor. Because there's the COVID, um, one of the silver linings out of this terrible two years, number one was people stepped back and said, okay, what kind of life do I want to live? And I'm not sure this job I have is it. So the, you know, the age of resignation, as much as it's painful as, a, as an entrepreneur to have people say, I don't want to come to an office anymore. But that's the first thing is this, the, you know, the, the increased quality of life for so many. But the second was the acceleration of the technology. Amazon has changed the way we think. And that applies across the whole world. You have to kind of you know, be ready when we did virtual growth was the name of my company in 1995, Netscape 1.0 came out and the mission was to deliver actionable financial intelligence over the internet with video. We just executed on that in the last 18 months. You know, our, our, our clients didn't want to get on video. My managers were like, Oh, you know what? Uh, I'm, 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 I have, I have distractions in the background and I, I, you know, I didn't get dressed for video. There was always like, you know, some reason why it's just better to do a phone call. And now everybody accepts that you might be in a bedroom, the bed should be made, but who cares if there's a cat sitting on the pillow, right? I mean, you know. <laughs> or on your keyboard. I mean, let's be honest. It's uh, that's right, yeah. or on the keyboard. Yeah. So I think, you know, the acceleration, the ICP the predicted by, by 2025, the bookkeeping position and the accounting clerk position will be completely eliminated. That transition has been accelerated in the last year and a half. Yeah, absolutely. I'm you're seeing all kinds of uh, you know, business process automation that like, you know, it's, it's very obvious that that's the type of thing where 
machine learning can make a meaningful dent. You know, like I think there's a lot of AI talk around areas that it's just like, I think we're never going to, it's like fusion power, you know, like we're never really going to get to some of these things, but you can meaningfully say that I'm going to be able to categorize my transactions in an automated fashion with a tiny little check. I do it. I do it on my phone with my QuickBooks online account. You know, I literally just, while I was waiting for you, I was like, okay, let me look at my, my transactions. And my wife, you know, runs the Kingwood youth ballet with co-runs the Kingwood youth ballet. So, you know, there was a deposit for her paycheck and I was like, it automatically said, this is Trisha's net salary. It's like, okay. And it's like, there were three other transactions of the same. Do you want to record them all? Yes, I do. I guess I didn't get to it in the last two weeks. So it's all automated. It's in your hand. It's in your pocket. Yeah, absolutely. So then do you think of it as elevating the quality of uh, work that people actually get to do? Yeah. 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 What I say to my team is there, there's a, the goal is to be a trusted advisor. Right. The goal is to be able to help them achieve their goals. And the more we can eliminate labor, the more we can free up time to add more value, you know, because there's only so many hours in a day. And if you can do the higher value work and spend your time on that and we teach you how to do that instead of just if a staff accountant, instead of just coding transactions or reviewing the work of a bookkeeper, can be taught how to read and interpret a financial statement. Now you can join the month end call with the client and say, you know, I was looking at, I was looking at the marketing expenses and one, the reason it's over budget is because you had this big expense for boom, boom. And now you're, 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 you're helping the business owners who don't really usually know how to read and interpret a balance sheet or an income statement. That's valuable. And so that's ledger hit the ledge on, you hit that nail on the head. The jobs are not going away. They're just shifting to higher value. Well, I, I like I like the turn of phrase you use is eliminate, eliminate labor and people get this idea that that means like eliminate jobs. And that's not no. what you're saying. Right? No, you're we're saying hiring. is like we're hiring. Yeah. make jobs better. Right. I mean, I have to say, like, there's occasionally a time when I actually like getting in my general ledger and and God making bless. matching transactions and stuff like it's accounting kind of feels nice at times like when I just I'm just I don't know I want something different but Very I don't want to do that all day long I don't I don't want to do that all day long and um you know I, I find better to if we can help people be on that strategic side what I exactly right I pay a financial uh, leader or you know sort of outsource CFO or something like that to go like why was this aberrant transaction larger you know, fix my accrual so I can actually see how much money I make on a given month because thing timing issues and cash and like there's so much stuff that gets lost if you just are doing this sort of like I don't know cash in cash out like well I'm not right. bankrupt today and right, right, right. what's remarkable is that people run two million dollar businesses out of their checking account yeah and and, and, and piles of paper on, piles of paper on their desk that overwhelm them <laughs> yeah, you know right. you know what's real interesting to me is when you take it now up a level even further you know the the i've looked at thousands of small businesses books right i've been literally doing this since the 80s and the the sad reality is that most businesses do not make 15 to 20% profit the market they're not the market leaders the the most of the businesses that we bring on have 5 to 10% profit 12% maybe 
And that doesn't. That's not horrible. You know, you can you're get you're paying yourself a salary and then there's some more to you know to to bonus people or to sock away for a rainy day or to uh, invest in your growth. But there's a there's a there's a reason why there's market leaders and then there's the, the people who are not living the American dream. The 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 market leaders understand there's only three ways to drive profits. You can, the worst way is to focus on growing your top line. You have to have growth in the top line and have growth in the company. But that is, if you don't deal with the other two, you will not increase profits. You will just continue to have the same profit percentage, just a, a, a bigger number. But it doesn't translate into getting from 5 or 10% to 15 to 20. The real magic is in understanding how to look above the line, right? How to increase your gross profit margins. And when you understand what causes profits, what causes gross profits, you'll, you quickly can then start to make decisions that allow you to see that change in your, in your bank account, in your pocketbook, in your, in your quality of life. And, and there's not, there's not a lot of things that you can do, but, the ones you do are pretty pretty important. Cost of goods sold, cost of service delivery, fees associated with selling, and like those things. Like yeah. there aren't a lot of spots above the line. No. And uh, yet you find people all the time have. If I see anything and, and coming in and doing sales work, it's like it's incredible to me how many millions of dollars you can do in revenue and have absolutely no idea what your cogs are. And, and that's and, the first and, analysis we have to do is like, how much does this cost you? Because how do we know how to sell it at a profit if you don't know? And here's the answer. You start with profits first. There's a great book. Sean Van Dyke wrote a great book. And you look and say, all right, how much profit do I want to make this year? If you want 15% profit, I just did this exercise with a, uh, a marketing agency in New York. How much profit do you want to make? And you say, okay, well, they, these guys wanted to make a million dollars in profit. And you work backwards from there to figure out how many units can you do in a year? And this applies to any industry, but in their case, a unit is a billable hour, right? How many, how many hours of creative talent can we generate revenue on? So now you divide that by how many hours have you got available for the whole year? And that shows you how much profit you need to make per hour. And then you go and look at what's my total overhead? What's all the below the line cost, the rent, the salaries of the accountants and the IT and the HR? And you divide that by the number of hours and you figure out your, how much overhead do you have to cover per hour worked. And then you can do pricing. So many business owners, they do pricing backwards. They say, okay, we, it cost me 50 bucks. I want to make a 50% margin, so I'm going to sell it for 100 well, that may be an industry average, but not every business in your industry has the same overhead. Not every business in your industry wants to make the same profit targets. Some people might be happy with 8 to 10% profits. So by working from the, the bottom of the income statement up and looking at the, the profit per unit, overhead per unit, then you can see how much do I need to price this based on what it costs. Right, and if you end up and that's a simple, relatively simple exercise. And if you end up at the place where you go like, well, that's awesome. I need to sell an hour for a million dollars. 
like you're wrong, right? Like you can't right. do that. The market won't bear that. But at least you didn't go through the pain of trying to sell the thing that's impossible. Well, and also, you know, and, and re you know, the reality is that unless your profit expectations are wildly off the map and your overhead is just stupid money, you're going to be pretty close. But until you understand that, once you understand that, then you can go back and look at every single job you do, every customer you serve, and you can say, okay, who are my worst ones? What is my profit or loss, in some cases, per hour served? And now those, uh, this company that I'm talking to, they're a $7 million business. And I said, based on what I see, you might be better off, instead of a $7 million business making 3% profit, you might be better off being a $5 million business making 15 because clearly you know that's a lot better no margin and and so and what they said was you know what's fascinating is my entire adult career has been all about the top line when you go to a trade show you're not sitting there saying oh yeah we made 12 and a half percent to the bottom line you're saying no we broke 7 million i got 62 people right now and nobody ever says yeah how much money did you make on that and that's all that matters right is it's not how much you bring in it's how much you keep yeah, absolutely. And if you ever want to sell the thing, you're going to get priced on EBIT anyway. That's right. Particularly That's in the right. service business. So right. um, I think I think what maybe is, you know, the startup lore and, you know, sort of the popular startup press gives you this idea that everything sells for an outrageous multiple of revenue because they're all based on SaaS companies that are overfunded. Right. You know, so most businesses don't behave that way. And it's not that there aren't those cases, but you get to read about them in TechCrunch every day and you get, right. you know, you get right. sort of startup stars in your eyes. And um, so it's really about like a trusted financial partners are going to be able to tell you, like, speak this language when you think about making your strategic decisions, because it'll help you a lot more. And uh, there's that weird thing that happens, particularly when you start a service business where you kind of go, you know, at a certain, like, can I scale this at any leverage? Because if I can't, I just have a job. And that's okay, because I'm self-employed. But if you can get more money in your pocket and not have to worry about scaling your thing, that might be a good choice. There's no glory in making no money by having a bunch of people. That's right. And 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 right now, right, it's December. We're, we're, I don't know when this will air, but it's, you know, the end, December of 2021. And... Inflation is crazy in the labor market, right? You know, you see a lot of talk about inflation in in, in retail and the cost of gasoline. Uh, I will tell you right now, you know, I look at a couple hundred clients' books and labor costs are growing exponentially because why? Because it's the age of resignation. The cost to lose somebody is so much greater than, you know, they went to go somewhere else for $10,000. Well, that's stupid. You 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 you're gonna cost spend you know if they're it's if gonna cost me sixty to replace it. Yeah. It's gonna cost you somewhere between you know eighty and one hundred and fifty percent of their base salary to replace them. And we did the math on that. And so everybody's getting raises. I mean you know it's really a, a, it's a wonderful thing as a business owner to feel like we're 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 really helping increase the quality of people's lives. But the Businesses that are successful are making those data-driven decisions about how to pass that back on to the client because they can show the client exactly what it costs to serve them. We did a company meeting today, and that's what we said was, you know, we want your time to be tracked on what reality is. Forget what the budget is. What does it really take? 
because we want to, in the new year, we want to be able to have honest conversations with our clients and say, listen, our salaries are going up. Our compensation is our number one issue on employee surveys. We just increased our 401k match to 5%. We absorbed all the health insurance increases for the last three years. Our costs are going up. So, and our employees are more important to me than my clients. So if we have to, if we lose some clients because they say, you know what, I was already over budget. It's like, okay, great. Well, we'll help you transition to somebody else, but I'm going to take care of our people. And, and if your clients are, in my experience, over, and I've been doing this for decades, when you show the don't, when you show the, the client the, you know, the tangible value that they're getting, and you do it as a partnership, look, here are the options, right? We can, we can reduce scope to stay within your budget. We can invest in some automation to help both of us win, or I have to increase your fees. And if I can't do one of those three things, we're going to transition you to another service provider. Over 80% of the time, if your clients are happy with you, nobody wants to switch. And if you can explain to them why they're happy, they recognize that everybody knows it's inf inflation is real. The Fed, the Fed confirmed it this morning when they said we're not, we're going to have some some interest rate growth in the next year. So what was it? It's no longer transitory. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But you have to have the data. You have to, have to, have to be able to, you know, put your fingers on it and not shy away from, you know, being willing to walk away from some bad business. Let me ask you before, you know, because we'll run out of time before I get to, but I, I love to do, because you are a founder, you have now multiple experiences and, and different things, like key lessons learned over, you know, these decades of, of experience that would benefit maybe the early stage founder or, you know, things you wish you knew uh, back then, you know, major mistakes. You know, I love this stuff. Yeah, my, my, my number one, I've got it it's loud and clear. It's in my head all the time. Uh, you know, I'm all about financial management systems, right? I was at Ernst & Young where I was a manager of accounting system design and learned how to build big accounting systems and create actionable financial intelligence. And then when we, then we, we I started Growth Force, you know, we got we got to 250 people in seven cities. We had you know tens of million dollars of VC funding, and but we didn't really have a good business. We had a good idea, and I looked at I could tell you profitability by customer, by job, just like we can today. Profitability by service, by team, by city. I could slice and dice profitability by marketing source. I could tell you exactly what drove profits. But I realized when I got older, I was in my 30s, right? I'm in my 60s now. When I got older, I started to study what's the difference between the companies that are living the dream, you know, Michael Gerber's e-myth, and what's the difference in those are struggling. And I looked at, I started with two technology companies. We do a lot of tech-based companies, managed service providers in particular in, in Houston. One was coaching their kids' baseball teams. He was uh, had a happy marriage. His management team stayed together for a long time. We were a client, his clients were happy, they stayed with him for a long time. And then I had another IT client who was really struggling. You know, messy divorce, uh, working his six, seven days a week, revolving door, the management team, revolving door with clients. I thought, what's the difference? And the winners, number one, they keep score. But number two, what I didn't know was, they understand it's people that drive profits. That you have to have a human capital strategy human capital management, along with a financial management strategy, and they have to work together. And you can't, you can't culture eat strategy for breakfast, right? And lunch, 
Well, your reporting system has to reinforce that. What does that mean? You can't have a core value of teamwork and then produce a profit and loss by team report and then say, okay, we're going to bonus the top ones. Now you don't have teamwork. you got competition. Right, and so right. un understanding how you use those reports to reinforce your core values and your beliefs and then get get data into the hands of decision makers and empower them and get them acting like owner and giving you discretionary effort because they understand the line of sight between their actions and success in the company and why that's good for them and their family. That's, that's the secret sauce. Right, right. Absolutely. It's not the uh, jelly of the month club, right? So. Yeah, exactly. It's got to, got to throw in some, some Christmas story stuff there. <laughs> um, no, I love that. I think that's, that's right. And, it's interesting as the financial system guy, then you just identified a variable that kind of isn't in your scope. I mean, you could talk like you need to do those things, but I wonder like, how do you get the clients to, you know, sort of up their game in a, in a place that isn't actually oh, under well, your, we, your scope of control? It is under our scope to report on it. We do yes. a people scorecard. Right. I deliver, I deliver a company scorecard that shows you the five most important drivers of every business. Your top line dollars, your revenue, your gross profit dollars, your gross profit percent, which is the single most important number on any number of any financial report. It's why the sharks on Shark Tank will always ask you, how much did you sell it for and what does it cost you to make? They're doing a gross profit percentage calculation. Then it's your net income dollars, your net income percentage. And the second page of our reporting package is a people scorecard. What is the revenue per employee? What is the labor cost? per person and then what is the profit per person and then you can slice and dice and our, our our we created a custom tool you can slice and dice to be able to add you know what is the roi on human capital how much profit do we have per dollar of total fully loaded labor costs and then we have a one-page scorecard that takes the three most important people drivers and and lays it on top of the three most important financial corp company drivers to show you how people drive profits yeah, yeah, interesting. So it's it's really like a return on human equity. Uh, yes, which is uh, that's a cool concept and uh, almost a, a way of sort of pulling intangible culture into your income statement analysis. Then. Employee turnover. We talked about a little bit is the biggest hidden expense in any business. And when you're a service business, labor costs is your biggest expense. I used to think back in New York when I had virtual growth, I used to think, okay, people are an expense. I want to pay as little as I can. I want to get the cheapest health insurance and tur turnover is just the cost of doing business. If I got a, if I got a, you know, a revolving door, well, we'll you know, just make sure HR has enough in the pipeline to fill them up. But we now run exactly opposite. Employee turnover is our number one metric for success. And it's been a tough two years. The age of resignation has been for everybody. Uh, I'm happy to say, I feel like we're, 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 you know, kind of gotten to maybe to the other side, but it's not without focus on investing in our people. And the reality is the people do not show up on the balance sheet. They are an expense, but you have to treat it like an asset and invest to get a dividend. And that ROI on human equity, as you say, is the best way to look at people as an asset and not just as an expense. That's just a great way to think about it. And the accounting for intangible assets, you know, ultimately, if you had a fantastic company that somebody wanted to buy, it would really be all about the culture performance of all those humans. And it would 
it would get accounted for after the fact in premium of goodwill on somebody else's balance sheet. And I, you know, that is bizarre, right? You can't account for that in our, you know, general accounting standards, you know? Right. Yeah. Very cool. Well, before I let you go, Stephen, I appreciate the insights. I, I always like to ask guests, you know, what, uh, what are you thinking about if you put on your sort of futurist hat for the next couple of years? Uh, you know, especially like you've got so much hindsight and, you know, you learned a lot of things in business and I bet you've seen cycle after cycle after cycle. Uh, what should people be paying attention to now looking forward? You know, I, I, I love um, for fun, just reading futurists articles, right? Just to me, it's always like, where's it going? And, and, and my father-in-law, John Stern, taught me that 30 years ago. Um, I find what um, Facebook is doing with virtual reality and meta and the metaverse to be really interesting. I think, you know, service businesses are going to, eventually we're going to have those little headsets instead of earphones on our heads, we're going to have little headsets and we're going to be in a room with a client um, you know, walking them through a financial report. That's, you know, 10, 15 years from now. But, but in the short term, if the focus is on eliminating manual labor and non-value adding things, you know, how do you pay your bills with, with a bill payment software on your phone? How do you track your time in five minutes at the end of each day? And then how do you use that data to, to allocate your labor costs, your single biggest expense above the line to each customer, each job? And then what you see, what your real overhead costs are. And this is true in nonprofits as well as for profits. Being able to allocate that labor cost is the difference maker. And the companies that have that automated are the ones that are going to use accounting as a competitive advantage. Love it. Stephen, thank you so much for hanging out. Awesome insights. If anybody is listening, wants to reach out to you and the company, what's the best ways to do that? So, um, Email is Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at growthforce.com. That's G-R-O-W-T-H, force.com. The website is growthforce.com. I'm, link I'm LinkedIn as Stephen King CPA, and Twitter is S-King-G-Force. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to sharing the insights, and uh, thanks for coming out today. Hey, thanks for having me, Ledge. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.